The first step of any change is awareness and having, gosh, it's almost making me tear up. Like the more aware that we are about these things, we can start to say, okay, wow, I really don't love that about myself. I'm going to try to work on that. Or this is just who I am. And I'm going to really focus on the things that I'm super, super awesome at. I'm going to quit doing these things that I suck at. I'm going to cut out yucky energy. I'm going to cut out yucky people. I'm just going to stop doing that stuff. I get real fired up. Like we get one life on this earth. I mean, this is it. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Today's guest is Jessica Butts. Jessica is CEO and founder of Front Seat Life, where she helps people be unapologetically who they are in their life, love, and business. Jessica is a retired psychotherapist, life and business coach, author of two popular books, and an international speaker and trainer. She shares her front seat life methodology all around the country in her super sassy and entertaining manner. I discovered Jessica when I heard her speak at the Neighbor Conference in Chicago this last spring, and she totally captivated the room. I took so many notes during her presentation that I actually referred to later, which almost never happens. She says that leaving the corporate world after 15 years to start her own company has been the hardest and most rewarding challenge of her life. I know I can relate to having hardest things being the most rewarding things for sure. And so we are very excited to learn more about her work and her journey. Welcome, Jessica. Well, thank you so much. It's always, I must say, it's always so fun hearing that back. (laughs) It's been a lot of hard work kind of getting to that place. So uh, that was lovely. Thank you. I'm excited. Well, we would like to start with having you share a little bit about your personal experience and your work background and how this all developed into your interest in coaching and speaking. Wow. How long do we have? This is only an hour? (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. So let's wrap that up. So as I think my bio says, I was in corporate America. I had just, I don't know, it feels like the standard story. Like I was just uninspired. I, I, you know, inadvertently married the wrong guy. I inadvertently picked the wrong major, inadvertently picked the wrong career. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've got the white picket fence and the house and the mortgage and the husband. And I was so ridiculously uninspired. I would say I wasn't unhappy. I was just uninspired. I'm a very forward thinking, like not waste my life kind of a person. And I felt like I had wasted probably about 10 years of my life just simply surviving and just to be really transparent, probably drinking too much and passing the time by doing things that weren't very productive in my life. And so I hit about 35, 36. And I just said to myself, really, like, am I going to spend the next 35 years of my life doing what I'm doing? And the answer was a resounding, heck no, there's no way that I can do this. So, you know, in rare Jessica form, I call it, I just kind of leaped. Uh, I went in and quit my corporate job. Very soon after that, I went back to graduate school and started graduate school. And at that time, the demise of my marriage was pretty eminent. And so I just literally started my life all over. I had nothing, absolutely nothing. I had left my house, left my marriage, $50,000 in student loan debt, 
and just a dream and a vision of starting my own business. And I worked harder at that than I've worked at anything in my entire life. And I taught myself how to run a business. I became an excellent, excellent therapist and couples therapist. And during that time, this wonderful, amazing woman in my life really pushed my buttons. (laughs) And she challenged me and said, you know, you seem to be doing well. Why don't you take what you're doing one-on-one with people and write a book? And I cackled. I like to cackle. And I laughed in her face and said, girl, I barely passed my thesis in graduate school. Like there is, I mean, there is no way I'm getting in to write in a 225 page book, but I just couldn't get it out of my head. And so two and a half years later, it took two and a half years, a lot of time, a lot of screaming, a lot of crying, a lot of, a lot of pulling my hair out, a lot of 5 a.m. mornings. But I wrote my first book and I changed everything. So it really transformed my psychotherapy practice, my what I call now hours for dollars into a leveraged speaking career, coaching career. And really, I think most importantly, more than anything, and I think all entrepreneurs need this, is it gave me a point of view. I've written two books now, and I'm working on my third about love. And I say this to all of my clients who are thinking about writing a book. It's actually not the end result that's all that interesting. What I found interesting was the process of getting clear about my message. And so now that's what I do in the world. I speak and coach and I'm actually getting ready to start my own podcast. I coach fabulous entrepreneurs and I do kind of live events. I do one in Maui each year and I do one in the Seattle area. So yeah, you know, all of that being said, I can say it in what, two minutes or something, but my goodness, it's been a good probably seven years of sweat, love, pain, tears, just exhaustion, um, and also just exhilaration. Again, the best thing I've ever done with my life. That's amazing, Jessica. I can just relate on so many levels in terms of like what it feels like to be uninspired. I love how you said that. It's not like you're ungrateful or you feel unfortunate that you have the job you have, but it's just not inspiring you on a deeper level. I definitely relate to that because I only just recently let go of my corporate experience and my corporate job. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. It's quite a different world now, but it's sparking joy so far. And uh, it really was time to part ways. I'd been with the same company for 14 years. Ooh. So it was quite a shift in just realizing, you know, I'm truly sitting in my passion and yeah. I just need to dedicate my whole self to that. And it is amazing, though, mm-hmm. isn't it? When you are truly passionate about something that you will do anything for it, whether it be yes. your children or pets or saving the world or your spouse or plants or whatever it is. But it's amazing where you can find time, energy and resources to put towards something you are truly passionate about. So true. Yeah. Yes. And I definitely want to talk a little bit about your book. But before we do that, I want to highlight one of the keystones of your work, which I Mm. found very interesting, which is the Myers-Briggs. And I know that it's quite a complex practice and kind of hard to, to, you know, outline in just the one podcast. But I'd love for you to kind of give us a synopsis on how you integrate Myers-Briggs into your work. So when I was in corporate human resources, that's actually what I loved to do. I learned about Myers-Briggs when I was probably 20. So straight out of college, like first job out of college, making 20 grand a year thinking, you know, I was a millionaire. 
And it was just exciting. And, and it was seriously, you know, when you have those aha moments, like God comes down, taps you on the shoulder and goes, pay attention. This is it. That was that moment. I mean, even at such a young age, like I didn't know anything, but I knew in that moment, that thing sparked my interest. Talk about sparking joy, like sparked my interest, like nothing ever, ever, ever in my life. Nothing, not boys in the teenager, like <laughs> nothing. I just, I, I, I just lit up. So I now do what I would call three tiers. So I, I very much talk about who are you? So I, I, again, this is about being unapologetically who in your life, love and business. So I do a lot of life coaching now that I'm not a psychotherapist. I need to call myself a life coach. I definitely still love working with couples and then I help entrepreneurs. And so the idea is who are you, which is your innateness. So there's nature versus nurture. So I put my nerd hat on a little bit and do some psychotherapy talk, but there really are two parts of who we are. There's the innate part of us that is our personality type, meaning we are all born with our personality type. And once we can learn what we're innate at, we can just do more of that. And then again, stop doing stuff that we suck at. Like all those things that we try to be well-rounded with and all those things that we spend all of this time pushing a boulder up a hill to try to be good at. My whole philosophy is just don't do that. Like, why are you doing that? Stop wasting your time doing those things. So that's the first part of it is the, the, the who are you? And then there's also the nurture piece of that. So that's really where my psychotherapy background comes in. And we talk about family of origin and culture of origin and past traumas and hurts. And obviously when I'm doing speaking gigs, we don't get to talk about those kinds of things, but those three main things and those two things are part of who are you? Absolutely that innate part. And then all of those other life things um, that really make up who we are in this world. And my whole jam, my whole BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, is truly to get people to understand that for the first time. So when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would read all of these books about do the, you know, just do what you're good at and, you know, go find your joy and all of that. And I thought, I get that, but I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> I need tangible, tell me what I'm good at. And so when I started realizing that I could marry or pair that kind of like, motivational, excited, go get them kind of stuff with actual science behind it. Um, I think that's when things really took off for me internally and with my clients is, is realizing that there is a very scientific thing that we're actually really good at and things that we suck at. So that's the who are you piece. And the second phase of where I, I do a lot of my work is where are you going? So you probably know this for sure, but so much of what we do is mindset. Uh, you know, what we think about all day, we become thoughts, beliefs, and actions equal your life. You know, you've heard about it all out there, but mindset is a critical, critical piece. And, uh, we've got to be able to dream. We've got to be able to, you know, vision and long-term plan and have core values and, and have visions and things that are very, very real and concrete so that we know what all of this hard work that we have to do in the last part of it, which is how are you going to get there? So who are you? Where are you going? And how are you going to get there? And I find that my clients are about 50 50. Some of them are really, really good at the visioning and the dreaming and the planning and their personality type is called a, a perceiving type. 
uh, and the intuitive type. They're very good at dreaming, but they're not so good at the details. And then there's half of uh, the population is the other half, which are really, really great at the details. Uh, they're the SJs and they're good at the minutia and the detail and the data, but oftentimes they lose sight of the long-term vision of what they are doing in their relationship, what they're doing with their business, what they're doing with their life. And it takes both of those things together to truly, truly uh, make up a successful life and business. So that last portion is how are you going to get there? And I've developed um, my own, what I call 3S system. And that's systems, structure, and singular focus. And that's where I get a little bit buck-kicky. And I <laughs> really kind of pound into people about taking action, taking decisive, clear, consistent action. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yes. And I definitely want to talk more about the 3S system for sure and how that can push us to action because Kunmari is all about self-discovery and not waiting to the next day or someday to do things yeah. or yeah. to act on the objects you're keeping in your home. And it's founded on Zen principles in Buddhism and all yes. of that. And it's influenced by that. And they stand on the fact that you should never procrastinate with anything you want yeah. to do, really. Yeah. So we're all about helping people take action awesome. in whatever way they could. But yeah. before we jump into that, I wanted to mention and confess that I was one of those people who took the Myers-Briggs test. Mm -hmm. I took it in 1999, oh I believe, when I graduated awesome. from high school. Awesome. But I ignored the results. <laughs> I think everyone was telling me, oh, you're good at math, you're good at science, go into engineering. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And I didn't really know what else to do. And I discovered my test years later when I was doing Kanmari the paper category. And I am an ISFJ, so mm -hmm. introverted, mm -hmm. sensing, feeling, judging. Mm -hmm. And I went into, you know, the engineering consulting field. But when I look at what they say I should do, it says creative, technical, interior design, which is what I ended up majoring in for graduate yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it says, let's see, social service education. Yeah. Uh, a social worker yep. or a personal counselor, yep. you know, all the things that I now I've realized is really what I want to do for the long term. So yep. it's quite interesting. And I'm not sure how the test has changed over the years or if it's changed. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Yeah. So the test has not changed. And you speak to a really interesting point that I'd love to address is that we do not change. Our life circumstances change, but our type does not change. My biggest issue with the Myers-Briggs is that people just take an assessment and they take it for what it is without doing any other fun stuff with it, like a self-assessment or talking about it the way that we are or read a book like my book that helps you understand it at a deeper level because it's really meant to bring out the positive and not put us in a box. And so oftentimes, that is what can happen as people can get misassessed based on what's going on in their life. So again, our type does not change, but our life circumstances change. So, you know, being a teenager, I mean, get real, like every, you know, 30 seconds, your, your life seems to change at, at that time of your life. Or when you're in college or a, a professor tells you you're not smart enough or a man or a woman tells you you're not pretty enough or handsome enough. Or you, you get into the wrong job or you get into the wrong major or you're born into a family that doesn't get you. 
Like that was my situation. My family had no idea what to do with this creative weirdo. Like I was, you know, raised by a bunch of kind of straight laced, wonderful human beings, but this creative soul, they just had no idea what to do. And so I learned that I was weird and different and there was potentially something wrong with me. And so as we come into getting older, like you were starting to realize like, wow, this isn't really for me. And I like these other things. And your type as an ISFJ is very caregiving, Mm -hmm. is very connected, is all about relationships and building relationships and intimate, deep relationships because of your introvertedness organized and very giving, very caring. And uh, yeah, and it sometimes it right, it takes us a while to figure those kinds of things out. This whole conversation is so interesting to me because I am an INTJ. And it's so funny that now that I've started my own business in the last couple of years, and one of the things that I've discovered after being in corporate and business jobs where I had a boss for decades that I know now about myself, I don't like anyone telling me what to do. Basically, that is the key to my entire life. (laughs) That's it. I just can't have a boss. It just doesn't work for me. I'm not happy. I'm anxious. I'm a mess. Mm -hmm. I'm resentful. I'm angry constantly. But doing my own business and working with clients as opposed to for someone has been the key to me being happy in life. Mm -hmm. And, And it took me a really long time to learn that. What the Myers-Briggs really taught me way back when, which I have forgotten and remembered many times over, is that personality really is innate. Mm -hmm. You really can't change who Mm -hmm. you were Mm -hmm. and are at birth, but you can change your behaviors. Yes. You can change your situation. And really, once you quit trying to fight who you are and start looking at what you can change and who you can be because of the great things that you are and the great things that you were born with, it really just makes a world of difference. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. Totally agree. Myers and Briggs have four different dichotomies that all have different meanings. So those four are introversion and extroversion, which is really all about our source of energy. Extroverts give their best selves and their best energy to other people. And introverts save their best selves and their best energy for themselves. The second is sensing and intuition. This dichotomy is all about how we take in information. Sensors, S's, take in information via their five senses. Meaning if they can touch it, taste it, hear it, smell it, see it, it is a fact. They are concrete detailed, factual, live in the now kinds of people. They are also great with day-to-day routine and kind of the functions of life. They're very good at that. Like you just mentioned, they're much better at taking direction or taking orders, if you will, um, than intuitives because intuitives denoted by an N because I is already used for introversion. Intuitives use their sixth sense. They are creative, big picture thinkers. They're always thinking about what's next. They really take in information via their gut and via intuition. They can seem flighty sometimes to uh, sensing people because their head is in the clouds. They always have new ideas. Honey, what if we go and do this? What if we did this? I call them the what ifers. And the huge population differential in this one, which is just utterly fascinating to me, 
75% of the population are sensors, which leaves only about 25% of the population are intuitive types. And this makes a humongous difference in our schooling, how we're raising children, how our organizations are run, how most of our world is set up with nine to five jobs. And you mentioned it earlier that you're like unemployable now. Um, I'm the same way. I will work whenever there's just this creativity going on. Um, and for your listeners, so there's an ISFJ, an INTJ, and then I'm an ENFJ. So we've got a, a good mix here. The next one is all about how we make decisions. Thinkers make decisions with their heads and feelers make decisions with their hearts. This population differential is based primarily on gender. We genetically are wired differently. So roughly, roughly 75% of men are thinkers and roughly 75% of women are feelers. So as a former psychotherapist and couples counselor, this was always an interesting one. We are almost always drawn to our opposite, regardless of our sexual orientation, which I just find totally fascinating. And it makes a huge, huge difference in working relationships and primarily couple relationships when we're going about, you know, making decisions in our life and our business. And then last but not least, which I have done extensive, extensive research in my own life and really taken, I think, this one to a whole new level is judging and perceiving. So this is all about how we go about being organized in the world and how we like our world organized. Jays, all three of us, we are organized, decisive decision makers. We are on time. We are scheduled. We are planned. Uh, we like things a certain way. We like the dishwasher done a certain way. Uh, we are a bit controlling because we like things to run a certain way. So if somebody's kind of not participating in the way that we want them to participate, or they're late, or they're going off the seat of their pants, it can be quite irritating to us. So I like to think of this as those horse blinders. Jays live their life a little bit with their horse blinders on. They are very direct and a little to the point and sometimes can almost come off curt and a little business-like because that's how they like things to be. Peas, on the other hand, are just spontaneous, fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants kinds of people. The population differential is also 50-50. So J's and P's have got to kind of learn how to function in this world. So where P's are five minutes late, don't worry about it, we'll figure it out, is very much their attitude, and they're much more go-with-the-flow. And you can see how those two people might very, very much irritate each other, where J's get irritated by P's spontaneity and flexibility and don't worry about it attitude. J's very much irritate P's because we seem very controlling, a little too structured for P's. As an entrepreneurial coach, this has probably been the most interesting one for me realizing that peas live outside of the horse blinders, meaning they are very hard to focus. They have lots of ideas. They're very entrepreneurial, yet they need to focus. So they are what I call the beers. They are great at just being in the world. They can just go with the flow and hang out and they're not worried about deadlines and structure and those kinds of things where J's are doers 
and they are very focused and determined. Also, I've realized through my research that this is the only dichotomy that does not have a place in the car that I have come up with. So while all the other three dichotomies play a role in this don't do stuff you suck at methodology, the J and the P don't have a home, meaning we have to learn how to do both. So I call myself a super J, not because my name is Jessica, but because I am a super control freak. Like driven, (laughs) determined woman. And I recently at almost 45 years old, got my first tattoo on my arm and it says B. I got the doing down. I got that stuff all dialed in. My issue is I have to learn how to chill out, how to slow down, how to stop and smell the roses and how to be. And the majority of my clients, not all of them are P's because they need the help with the system structure, singular focus, and they need help with doing. So I hope that was a good recap. That was very helpful, especially for any listeners out there who are just getting introduced to Myers-Briggs and helpful for those who have heard of it before, because now uh, you've definitely confirmed for me personally, Jessica, that I don't need to take the test again. Oh, all of these letters sound very much, I'm very much like one or the other in good. almost all four of them. I would say that Kunmari has changed me a bit in terms of, I've always been like a laid back J, I'd say. Yeah. I, I definitely have an affinity for order and yeah. managing time and doing rather than just talking about doing something. Yeah. But just being around and more in touch and present has helped me to loosen up. Your title of your book is Don't Do Stuff You Suck At. Can you share some insights about that? Because, I mean, you've already helped us so much breaking down Myers-Briggs, but we'd love to hear more. Yeah, I wanted to be as clear as possible. So hopefully that title gets the point across. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably been eight years or so, maybe seven years uh, since I did my very first workshop. Let me just say for all you entrepreneurs who are just starting, there were three people there. You know, let's just get real. Now I speak in front of thousands. But for anybody starting who wonders like the trajectory of of a career, that's how it started. So let's get real. It's hard. So I'm getting ready to do my first workshop. And I needed this way to describe the things that we're good at innately and things that we suck at. The idea behind it is just a car analogy. There's four people in the car. The four people in the car represent different parts of your personality. Your front seat needs to represent about 80% of where you spend your energy. 80% of your time needs to be on your front seat activities. And my book outlines this perfectly. So I'll just use myself as an example for an NF. The front seat are two people. There's a driver, which is truly your very, very best self. Or as as an extrovert, I give my best self, I give my driver, my best self to other people. You two save that for yourselves and those very, very close to you, your good family, your good friends, your family, those people. And then the other person is a co-pilot. And these two people, mine is an NF. So when I get to be creative, I get to think outside the box. I get to make my own schedule. I like to, you know, create new packages and new ideas. And when I get to connect with human beings, when I get to build relationships, build connections, hug, be, you know, be friends with people, that kind of front seat activities 
When I am spending 80% of my time there, that's where I and you guys, whatever your front seat is, this is where you are making your most money. This is your most happy. This is where you are in flow. You know, that feeling of being in flow when things are easy. You know, Kirsten, you talked about it. You were talking about being in your old job versus going into this new work and going, oh, right. Like, I'm really good at this. So you know what that feels like, right? Yep, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's flow. And that is your front seat. This is your God given talent, literally how you're born into into uh, into the world. And so when you do those front seat activities, your driver and your co-pilot, those two parts of you, um, again, is just how your clients will be attracted to you, where you will be your happiest, where you will make money, where you will attract a partner. It's flow. It's kicking a, a beach ball down a beach. Like it's just easy peasy, easy peasy. However, there's two parts of our personality that are backseat stuff, and it's a real, real mess. And it's the exact opposite of your front seat. And so these two people are pretty funny, but serious. So the first person in the backseat is called your drunk uncle and your backseat. And this person really represents the part of your personality that's kind of like a drunk doing it. So I don't know about you guys, but when I'm drunk, I am not at my best self. Uh, It's been very, very, very long time since I've been drunk. But even if you're intoxicated, you're not your best self. You're not going to sit down and run your business. You're not going to do a podcast. You're not going to have a deep conversation with your partner. You need to just stop doing that stuff and like have another drink and pass out. Like it just (laughs) needs to be done. And we all have a part of our personality that we truly, truly suck at. And this is where the 80s got really wrapped up in people's heads, telling people, oh, be well-rounded and, you know, you need to really work on your weaknesses. No, my point is don't do that. Don't, (laughs) Don't do that. I'm the exact opposite. We only get so much energy. We only have so many days a week. We only have so many hours in a day. I don't know about you, but I want to spend that time doing stuff that I am innately awesome at so that I can go out and be the best person, the best business owner that I am. Because 100% of the time, what happens when we spend time doing stuff that we suck at is we get this feeling of being backed up against a wall. And that feeling is a reptilian response. So our personality is tied to this reptilian response that we have. So imagine yourself, listeners, being backed up against a wall. You know that I'd like everyone to just imagine it even for a minute. All Mm -hmm. those times you're doing way too much stuff that you suck at. You're doing the details of your business. You're, you know, for me, it's details and data and logic and minutia. And anytime I have to do those kinds of things, I get stressed out and feel yucky and it's wonky, gross energy. So this was you, Kristen, in your old job too. As we spend too much time doing that, something really sad happens. Everybody else in the car goes to sleep, meaning all those awesome parts of your personality shut down and one person in the car opens up and she is called your baby in the backseat. And babies are underdeveloped, immature. They have no verbal communication skills. They obviously are completely immature. And that person wakes up. There's two reptilian responses. So think about your your reptilian brain. 
they when they get attacked or they're stressed out, they're at their wits end, two things happen. They fight or they flee. Extroverts flee. They do the exact opposite of their normal, amazing extroverted energy. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to be on Facebook. They don't want to work. They can barely manage like getting out of bed, going to work. They are not putting out their best self. They have wonky, weird, uninspired, just bizarre energy. And it's because that part of their brain has woken up. It is there to protect them. Just like reptilian response, it is there to protect them. Introverts, so you guys, yours is the opposite. You fight. So unbeknownst to your normal character, different from your, you know, your, your normal introverted self, you guys get, you know, pushed to your edge and you come out fighting. And that might look like fighting in terms of logic. It might look like fighting in terms of being over emotional. It might look like fighting in terms of being like list makey. It might be over exaggerating, but it's typically in people's face. It's a little loud. It's a little over emotional. It can be very demanding and pushy. And again, it kind of scares people around you. There's so much pathologizing of ourselves and other people. Like, what is wrong with me? Why am I like this? I'm such a loser. I can't get my stuff together. Why can't I be more organized? Why can't I be nicer? Why do I lose my my SHIT on the road? Why do I <laughs> why do I freak out? There is an actual reason. And so as you guys know, the first step of any change is awareness and having, gosh, it's almost making me tear up. Like the more aware that we are about these things, we can start to say, okay, wow, I really don't love that about myself. I'm going to try to work on that. Or this is just who I am. And I'm going to really focus on the things that I'm super, super awesome at. I'm going to quit doing these things that I suck at. I'm going to cut out yucky energy. I'm going to cut out yucky people. I'm just going to stop doing that stuff. I get real fired up. Like we get one life on this earth. I mean, this is it. I'm about to turn 45 next week. And it's just like, this is it. You know, if I'm, if I'm lucky, I get 40 more years and like, I want to make the absolute most of it. And part of making the most of it is living your life from that front seat, doing those things that you're really great at. But here's also the good news is that everyone's different. And so there's people that are awesome at the stuff that I suck at. And so just being able to own this, learning how to communicate this with your partners, with your friends, with your colleagues, running your business like this, and just attracting people in your business that like you. You know, one of the things I think that is so important as an entrepreneur is recognizing those things that you're not good at and hiring someone to do that. And it's a very practical tip, but I'm beginning to really recognize that my time has a dollar associated with it. And if there is something that I can have someone do and they're going to do it better than me and it might cost me less than what I could be making with that hour, then that is actually a, a worthy investment. Bingo, sister. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I think also one of the things that you talk a lot about is the authentic self. Mm-hmm. And you've totally touched on this whole idea of just identifying that person 
What are some really practical tips for getting to know that person, that authentic self? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, first and foremost, like this is, seriously isn't a plug. It's figuring out your personality type. I have a free one on my website. It's called it's JessicaButts.com. It's a free assessment. Start there. Like go, go figure it out. Step two um, is what most people push back on me more than anything else that I ask them to do, which is journal. Like every single successful person has what's called a morning practice and they spend time getting centered and grounded every single day. Some people do it at night. Some people may do it middle of the day, but most people start their day grounding themselves in who they are. And one of the best ways to do that is by journaling. I personally call it externalizing the crazy. We got a lot of stuff spinning around in our heads. We got kids over here and this job, this needs, and this needs this, and this needs this. We never stop to think about who am I? What do I want? What are my dreams? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? How do I feel today? If I feel crappy, why do I feel crappy? It's okay. 80% of the time I strive to be pretty awesome. And 20% of the time I'm going to be, you know, watching Netflix and eating pizza and not being my best self. You know, we can't be our best selves all the time. But authenticity and, and, and taking that road of true self-exploration takes some quiet time. It doesn't mean being busy all the time. Like we have an, we have a society addicted to busy. Like how many things can you possibly do in a day or in a weekend? And there's no time spent on self discovery. And that means get quiet, spend some time by yourself. I, I'll give you another practical trip. Go take a trip by yourself. I travel by myself all the time. Uh, people think I am insane. They ask me like, what do you do for eat meals? What do you like? Where, how do you eat by yourself in a restaurant? I'm like, you just do, you just, you just do. You sit at a bar and someone will talk to you or be by yourself. But one of the best things you can do is journal and take trips by yourself. Jessica, I will say, I love how you touched on awareness being, mm -hmm. you know, a crucial part of this self-discovery process and being in touch with your authentic self. And I think that speaks so much to the KonMari process. It is essentially designed around that, you know, confronting things, being honest and real mm -hmm. and getting to the source of the problem rather than just fanning or dousing the flame. In the spirit of that, I think of some of my clients who go deep and they're not always so happy about what they find. True. So in the case where someone wants to change some of the traits yeah. or things that they identify as authentic to them, yeah. uh, do you have any tips for self-acceptance and, and other paths? Yeah. So I'm hearing a couple different things there. So one mm -hmm. is sometimes uncovering your past, uncovering some trauma, uncovering some bad qualities. Like we all have right. them and that's why a great therapist can totally change your life. Being able to dig into those kinds of things. When it comes to your personality, I would err on the side of, again, being unapologetically who you are learning how to accept it and not trying to wish you were like somebody else. Oh, I wish I had that hair or that sure. body or that code or whatever. You are who you are. You are a perfect and divine gift from God. And when we try to change that, I think it just numbs who we are. So mm -hmm. while there are parts of us that I think we need to work on, meaning the J and the P part, like I certainly, one of my biggest edges is, whew, I am driven to a fault. And it, uh, 
can railroad people sometimes. And it's definitely not my most attractive quality. So I am acutely aware of that, yet I can't necessarily change it, but I can make modifications to it. It is always innately going to be who I am, yet I can look at it, own it, know that that I can railroad people sometimes, and then learning how to soften that. And also, I will add, having relationships with people that are authentic enough that they can also call me on my BS. Like, if I am doing that, please tell me. I, you know, we're very unself-aware at times. And being able to, again, be authentic enough to know your own stuff, being able to apologize, um, and being able to have relationships where people can say those kinds of things to you and go, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. You're right. I love you. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And I will work on that. Beautiful. And at this point in the show, we often ask, what's your favorite tidying tip? But for you, Jessica... We'd love for you to share more about your productivity (laughs) tips that you have for taking action. So you mentioned that SSS system. We'd love to hear more about that because it directly ties into organizing. It truly is about getting yourself and your life organized around you. I mean, I'll kind of list some of the things, but it's really about, you know, what are your offerings? What are your pricing? What's your AM practice journaling? What's your weekly schedule like? What are your rocks in your life? Like what are the most important things and what garbage are you letting sink in? One of my favorite tools of all time are 90-day goals, 90-day sheets, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you are focused 90 days out and nothing else gets done until those things are done. Mine sit right behind my computer. I'm staring at them right now. I look at them 50 times a day and it reminds me, right, nothing else until those get done around systems, uh, core values and uh, CEO mentality and having CEO meetings with yourself, email lists and using time trade and using technology effectively so that you're not wasting time. You know, having CRM systems built in your business. And then singular focus around your business, having a point of view, understanding what it means to compartmentalize your time, having a niche, who are your ideal clients. And so I think the two that I would highlight the most, they're my personal tips. I I would say the first one is compartmentalization. That concept literally changed my life as a busy entrepreneur is that I need to just get through one thing at Mm -hmm. a time. Mm Mm-hmm. I only actually need to focus on three things in 90 days. I mean, I think it's a game changer for people. That's great. And it really speaks well to the Kanmari method, which is all about batching things together. It's all about just focusing on clothing, then moving on to paper and not trying to think about and make decisions on every single category because every single category is blended together in a drawer. It's about separating the ideas out and tackling it in a time that provides a result that's impactful. Totally. And And not moving on to things until you're done with what you're working on. Exactly. Yes. I love it. Yes. Now we always ask our guests, what is sparking the most joy for you today? Today? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, uh, I'll I'll be transparent with you. It's starting a new relationship. 
I am been divorced and I am starting myself out into the dating world after five years. And uh, it's making new connections and getting clear about what I want in my life for the second round. And it's sparking a lot of joy. It's, it's quite, uh, it's quite fruitful and fun. So I'm enjoying that. So any final words of wisdom to share with our listeners? I think more than anything, what I like to truly leave people with is figure out your side of the net. Figure out what sparks joy in you. What gets you excited? What makes you uniquely who you are? What makes you elated and stand out and and unapologetically who you are like we are all built so different and so it is just my absolute behag to help people and want people and have such a deep desire for people to really thrive in their lives there's a lot of sadness out there right now of just simply surviving And we truly are meant to thrive. And the very first step of that is just truly figuring out who you are and then aligning your life around again. What sparks joy in you? What sparks authenticity in you? What lights your soul on fire? What makes you go crazy? And just doing more and more and more and more and more of that. I love that. Thank you, Jessica. You're so, so welcome. What a great conversation. So thank you for having me. I'm honored. Jessica has a special offer for our listeners. It's the front seat life personality assessment that you can take to learn about your personality type. We'll have that link for you in our show notes. You can reach Jessica at jessicabutts.com. On Facebook, she's at Front Seat Life. And on Instagram, she's at Front Seat Life as well. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the Spark Joy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at Spark Joy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Conmari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Conmari Media Incorporated or or the Conmari Consultant Community.